Did you know that you can help us produce new seasons of our podcasts and audio series? At Studio Chenta, we just launched a new series of audiobooks based on our podcasts, and they're currently for sale. There are many titles available from romantic comedy to horror, true crime, communication and linguistics, food and lifestyle, migration stories, and much, much more. Available in Spanish, English, Italian, and French. Check out our full catalog at ochentestudio.com slash audiobooks. And find the titles on apps like Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobook app. Thank you so much for supporting our work. Hey everyone, it's Luis, Kiona's co-host for this season of How Not to Travel. We're so excited because we're about to share our first bonus episode with extra content from our live listening sessions. This season, as you know, is all about the journeys of some of the world's most fascinating foods. And for each episode we release, we're hosting live listening sessions with content creators from around the world to give us more insight into the subject at hand. Last week, we listened to the season debut, which was about Hawaiian pizza, and we had the pleasure of being joined by Elijah, a native Hawaiian educator, content creator, and head of the wellness organization Awakened Aloha, which he co-founded with his wife. Elijah gave us some amazing insight into several topics that we weren't able to cover in our episode, such as the little-known reason why Hawaiian-grown pineapples are tastier, and the complicated relationship with the pineapple cannery that many of his family members worked in for decades. This episode is an abridged version of the discussion we held after listening to episode one. So if you haven't already, please go listen to that one before making your way to this one. And without further ado, let's dive straight into the chat. I'm so excited to present my special guest, Elijah. He um, is a native Hawaiian culture practitioner. He has a massive TikTok, a massive Instagram. Y'all follow him, son of Oahu. And I am privileged to invite him today because how can we talk about Hawaiian pizza without a Hawaiian person up in here telling us if we did good, if we did bad. And so um, I wanted to invite Elijah to take part in this and for you also to meet him. And we are launching our Hawaii trip. And I wanted you all to meet Elijah because he's going to be your 24-7 guide. So that's a exciting thing. So it launches on Patreon first. So without further ado, Elijah, if you could introduce yourself. Aloha mai kako. I'm Elijah Kalamik Shane. Um, I come from the beautiful lands of Oahu Kakuhiheva, Oahu Alua, which if you are unfamiliar with Hawaii, is what is considered to be our main island. And Honolulu, which is considered to be uh, the capital of the quote-unquote state of Hawaii, but is the capital of the Hawaiian kingdom, is Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, I've been here all of my life, and I'm a cultural practitioner, um, and what I will consider to be a spiritualist. And so we actually do a lot of our healing arts work and actually through being a kahu and an educator in our organization called Awakened Aloha, we really specialize in the healing arts and helping people to reconnect to who they come from to uh, through actually spirit, through culture and through consciousness. And so we help people from all around the world on how to reconnect 
to their their ancestral principles through a connection to the spirit of Hawaii and the universal principles that are of our ancestors, especially the the universal principle of aloha. And so we actually do a lot of the um, experiential work and um, immersive experiences in culture here in Hawaii, and we help to uplift and awaken humanity through their um, immersion into the culture of Hawaiian people. So it's good to be with you guys. Um, it's good to be on the panel. It's good to talk about some uh, pizza today. So Elijah, I'd love to hear your thoughts in general about your take on Hawaiian pizza, um, about the episodes, about pineapples, just everything. Perfect. One awesome episode. I I begin dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it. And a good edit, brother. Awesome stuff. I'll kind of encapsulate all of my thoughts. Uh, I thought it was pretty awesome, especially integrating, interconnecting the history of the overthrow, um, the interconnectedness between people um, who were in charge of the overthrow. Speaking of uh, the original head of quote unquote state, um, a whole bunch of BS, but the head of the provisional government actually being a dole and actually giving access to his cousin. His cousin, from what I know, he experimented with a handful of actually fruits previous to having to come to a decision on the pineapple. He experimented with different fruits that could be in the tropics because he was interested in getting into big ag. Um, and, you know, we all know today the hurt and um, unhealthy impact on the ecosystem if how you farm in terms of big agriculture is all based on like a monocropping style that really is for just economic gain at the ending of the day. And so I think of all of those things as people seeing Hawaii as a cash cow because resources are able to be produced here all the time, you know, and um, specifically on Hawaiian pizza, you know, I, as a Hawaiian, I never really did like it. That just wasn't really a, but me, you know, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie, I love to eat pineapple, you know, I think it's a, uh, it's a healthy fruit, in the fruit within itself, right, Um, uh, kind of big thing that was not in the episode that we can potentially add in, um, in this conversation right now, is that, like, he discovered that the reason why in his planting of the pineapples in Hawaii on why it was superior because he was experimenting on different areas. He had close friends doing it around the world. But what he discovered was that the reason why the pineapple of Hawaii had been extremely sweet, it's because of our Aina of Hawaii in his place that he planted it on the Kunia Plateau has a high concentration of iron in the dirt. If you go into Hawaii and see like all the plantations, all the plantations here, all the pineapple is actually placed and planted into a piece of Aina that everything in the land looks extremely red because of the high concentration of iron. And so he learned that in putting it in that aina that had the high concentration of iron, it produced a pineapple that had a unique flavor that even today, I've been in Florida, I've been in Utah, 
I've had a chance to eat a pineapple there that is a dull pineapple, but had been produced in the Philippines or had been produced in Puerto Rico, in Brazil, and it didn't taste the same as Hawaii's pineapples. It's a dull pineapple, but it didn't taste the same. And the reason for that is because the concentration of iron in the dirt here is much higher. As a fruit being halakahiki, actually being a fruit that is not of Hawaii and looks like the hala fruit, it is a good expression and a good example of the oppression of actually small egg businesses in Hawaii and the capitalization through big egg products to use. Because at one point, all of our pineapples were being exported. Uh, today has a high demand enough in Hawaii that the pineapples that are produced on Oahu stays in Hawaii. Um, according to what I know now, that may have changed. But yeah, I mean, hey, in terms of everything, bruh, I think it was a great episode. Um, it has a lot of wisdom, a lot of good information. And I think you guys did an excellent job. So good job, guys. Good job. I did not know anything about that iron fact. I thought I had did a lot of research, but apparently I should have just asked Elijah because he'd be knowing <laughs> things. So like we can talk about everybody's favorite pizza minus me like hawaiian pizza but like still people are like i had no idea hawaii had a monarchy and it's the first thing that i learned like people who live in hawaii um learn in school is like the first people is here and so when i like come into contact with people who are american and have no idea i'm like bruh how you don't know this um, and I also love the the science facts. Like I'm a PhD in nutrition. So I love that Louise put in that part about that pineapple eats you kind of thing. And I love that Elijah already knew that. Yeah, Elijah uh, was always like 10 seconds ahead of us with the facts. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <great>. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know, the interesting thing is, right, is that if you eat a heavy meal, it's actually why on a Hawaiian plate, they actually began to implement a piece of pineapple at the end because it helps in the processing of the food. Like, you know, to eat Hawaiian food, like the kalua pig and the lao lao and the rice, it usually leads people to having what we call a kanaka attack. But what's actually happening is a food coma, that there's a spike in your blood sugar and then uh, heavy, heavy meats. And so like a lot of the energy in the human organism is headed down to the stomach and so it puts the human body to sleep and so they have started implementing a piece of pineapple on there i'm not too sure if it was intentional or unintentional but because it's highly acidic it helps in the breaking down of all the foods so that it's easier on the body we also went over olalo hawaii which is like what were what the original word of pineapple was and like i love that Luis through in his Spanish. And, and actually on that note, we only had like 20 minutes or so for the content itself. So there was a lot of things that were cut out. And originally I wanted to add like another one of these fun facts, but there were just like not enough space or time. But I, I guess I can just share that here, which is a lot of fun, uh, which is that I mentioned piña and how like the origin of that word as well. But it's interesting how English and Spanish are actually like the outliers on the word pineapple itself, because most other languages use a form of the word ananas, like anana in, in French and I believe in like in German and 
Italian and so many others, right? What's interesting is that like, actually, ananas has a very interesting etymology. It comes from the Tupi-Guarani language in, in South America, in, in Brazil, in Paraguay. Uh, and it actually means the perfume of perfumes, which I thought was really nice. Mm. And That's so dope. Super cool. Someone, someone's commenting about, don't some Spanish speakers use ananas? Sorry, yes, you're right. I, I know that in Argentina, they use it. I'm not sure if it they're, they also use it in other countries. I know for a fact that in Argentina, it's used, but it, it is like throughout the Spanish-speaking world, piña is in general most more common. Piña. Yeah. If you like piña colada. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I and then we went into how like Europeans use the pineapple as like a like a stunt, like a flex. Like I got pineapples, but they don't actually eat them. They just show them. I really love that Elijah put in the chat, like, yeah, it's just for decoration, like how they do animals. They kill them and they just put them up for decoration. I feel like that's like so symbolic and so deep that you mentioned that because that's kind of how I, I was like, how much abundance do these people have that they just can grow a whole pineapple for four years in like a green room and just to like not eat it? I didn't mention this and I mentioned it a little bit, but I should have talked about it more, but Hawaiian people had so much free time. They had so much free time back in the day because they were growing all of their own agriculture and they were so self-sustaining and so abundant in everything that they had so much free time so they could enjoy each other and pick up sports and do other things. And then basically when pineapples came, they put Hawaiians to work. So like taking away their free time, putting them in like basically labor for them to now have abundance of like just ridiculous abundance for what? Like, what is the point of like taking away somebody's abundance for you to just stunt or flex that you have a pineapple? I'm going to talk a little bit on that because um, a thing had come to mind where, you know, um, I've heard all these stories all of my life, which I didn't really fully appreciate and like hear and put two and two together um, until recently. So in Oahu, in Kaka'ako, there are huge, huge pieces of real estate specifically for all the processing of the pineapples, right? And so, as is stated in the episode, how a lot of the people who were on the plantations still had people who were working on the plantations. You know, there is a good story on the Hawaii, um, the Hawaii Verse podcast speaking who probably like a food expert in Hawaii, Lanai Tobura, who grew up in Lanai. And he was speaking about how plantation days had the Filipino, had the Japanese, had the Korean, had the Kanaka, had the Portuguese, all working on the plantations. And they all had all of their own individual food. And every time they would eat lunch, each person had a three-tier can that had the meat on the bottom, in the middle tier had rice and then on the high third tier had kind of like the fruits and the veggies and how on lunch break they would all come together in a circle and would have all of their food of all of their individual cultures and they would just hand to each other he had fish uh, he had spaghetti, he had adobo, he had all of these different foods and they would come together and exchange and that was the beginning of the plate lunch creation. But a whole majority of people who worked on the pineapples worked in the warehouses, yeah, um, in each of the canneries. And so the canneries, I speak on the canneries because 
the two of our parents. How they met when they were 16 and 18 is they had a job in their kind of three-month break in high school over summer. They worked part-time job at the cannery because had high school opportunities there. And that's how the two of my parents met. And all of my aunties and uncles and all of my kupuna, and I talk about all of my kupuna who, in, who is almost 100 years old, they worked at the cannery for their entire career. So their, their whole experience occupationally was all working as an employee in the corporation that was at the same time displacing our people, our work, our food systems, and our ecosystems. And they did not even know it because they were paying a good pay to all of their employees. And a majority of the employees were Hawaiians who were working for Dole, connected to this whole uh imperialism in Hawaii that was all stemmed through the illegal overthrow as well and they did not even know and they weren't even speaking Hawaiian on the job they couldn't and it was a real thing and so I think about the both of my parents and how they would talk about all the time the good times at the cannery and I realized cannery don't care wait all of my ohana was working for a man and they never even know only for one paycheck and while they was doing that they didn't know how for farm and they was all picking up all of their food at Foodland. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's like so important for people to hear. We've talked about this too, about like creating systems where your own peoples are oppressing your own peoples and not even knowing it. Even when we do our military talk, like our parents, like joining the military and not even freaking knowing like what they're being used for or knowing and just like trying to make it, you know? All of the things that you hold as like the principles you live by, all the things that you hold as high worth and value, if that becomes all accommodated through money and currency, then you'll do anything to make the money to feed your ohana. So it's not like I place the blame on them, but if you're able to look at the bigger picture from the outside looking in on how these infrastructures and systems of imperialism put these things in place to oppress the people ignorantly and inadvertently, then you really begin to realize like, how is humanity the way that we are? And then people hear about pineapples being Hawaiian, not even knowing, then they make a pizza out of it and it's completely decultured and disconnected from truth. Do we have anybody that wants to share, hop on the mic? Uh, so like with Hawaiian pizza not being Hawaiian, what would you, like what's a food that you would want somebody, like want people to associate with Hawaii? It's not a fact that I'm against that kind of pizza. I've eaten ham and pineapple pizza. I think it was good. I think you maybe just call them ham and pineapple instead of Hawaiian. Yeah, because the the like use of the terminology is what is the issue. And I have eaten at some good pizza spots who has Kalua pig. They actually have uh, pieces of fish on their pizza, you know, because... A, a huge expression of culture is in its foods. And so things evolve and adapt in its right way. And I think um, it's cool. But to answer your question about specific foods that is connected to Hawaii, the main one is kalo that is put into a paste that has kind of like another name of poi. So if anybody's ever been to Hawaii and has eaten poi, 
but um, it's actually staple fruit is kalo. It's like a starch. It's a heavy base starch. It's like a potato that is also eaten in Mexico and in Brazil and in Argentina, in Colombia. I came across. So when I was in Las Vegas, I was looking for kalo and had a... A beautiful store, a huge store. The thing was almost like a food land or like a Costco, but it was all foods of Latin America. And I went over there and I found Kahlo, but it had a different name. Um, I forget the name that it was called um, in that time. But if there's any food, it would be the main food because it connects to kind of who we are ancestrally and in our lineage. But has Kalu a pig? Has Lao Lao, as I was stating earlier, the deepest issue is just the word usage. If it could change the word usage to it being um, just ham and pineapple pizza instead of Hawaiian pizza, then it gives clarity that it's not cultural um, foods. Yeah, it's not cultural foods because it's not cultural foods, right? Then it confuses people and then it creates a different perception on what Hawaiian foods really are and they don't really ever get to experience the real juice of Hawaiian cultural food systems. Um, so, mahalo, mahalo for asking. Got another one? I'm from Colombia and Colombia is a very rich uh, place in flora and fauna. And we have had in our history people coming to our into our land to take in, in our case it's bananas. And the US came to our lands and they had all these uh big plantations of banana, and that was something very harmful for our communities. I was very interested in that because I mean I never thought that would that was something of a problem in Hawaii. So I would like to know a little bit more about that. Awesome, awesome. Hey, mahalo nui. Yeah, this is a problem actually happening all around the world, especially in places that has like an ecosystem and climate that is ideal, which has like a lot of rain, a lot of nutrients in the soil, which happens to be actually places that that has an abundance of like ecosystems and a rainforest all throughout the islands because of all the watersheds can produce plenty of water to produce these foods, right? This has been an issue in all places. It's an issue in the Philippines. It's a big issue in all uh, Eastern Asian islands. It's an issue in Guam. It's an issue everywhere. And the biggest issue that has to be spoken on is all of this is not ultimately to feed the people. It's to profit from the people through being in control of food systems, right? So that's extremely important to actually know that in ancient times where everybody prospered together, it was because how our people had farmed, it was all based on creating a food forest in their area that worked together where all the roots of all the plants and trees had not been invasive. If there were specific things that were invasive, it was uprooted. And invasive meaning it steals all the nutrients in the roots, in the aina, that could be used to feed all the nutrients to the food producing crops, right? And so all of those things had been in place heavily in Hawaii for 2000 years. And so in the introduction of this whole style of economy, and you know, 
had people who were in the Hawaiian kingdom, had a couple of our kings who took place in this because they had an interest in becoming an economic superpower in that time where all the European powers were just going throughout the Pacific, snatching up land, snatching up islands. We had to match them a little bit. And in order to do that, we had to have an economy that we could control, that there were equal amounts of, well, a higher amount of exports than imports that that we as a people as an island chain had been producing in abundance that we had a surplus to export and to make money by and we had that but what we have now is that 85 percent or more of our foods are imported to hawaii our economy is heavily dependent on the imports and the resources of the United States, which means that in order for us as a people to feed our own, we have to begin planting again to restore our streams and our food systems because you cannot be independent on your own unless you can feed your own populace. If you're not able to feed the populace and these other industries head into your aina because they're more inclined to doing this kind of business and they come and they displace you and use all of your lands to export into New York because everybody in New York love Hawaiian rum and it's coming from these crops of sugar cane that is in Oahu that could be utilized to produce food to feed our populace. Then the bigger issue is reconnecting our people and how we make our decisions on how we eat instead of going to Costco to begin to plant foods in your yards that can feed your children. So when the crash happens, you're not dependent on the imports that is coming into Honolulu Harbor. Your food production is dependent on all the places that you plant food, all the farms that you're connected to and who you build relationship and community with because food builds community. If you don't have food, there's no community because everybody's going to be killing each other because everybody's hangry. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think everybody's like nobody wants to be a farmer. But I think what people don't understand is like back in the day, like our societies were all built around food. Like if you go to Mexico, Chichen Itza, they literally like made a full freaking temple to like showcase when is harvest time, you know, like when does the serpent come on the pyramid? Like all of our societies were structured around food and harvesting, like moon and sun because that's when it would tell us when we could eat when we could plant all those things and I feel like we don't know any of that stuff anymore like we're not connected at all and because we have like lost that connection I feel like we also have lost the connection to each other when you disconnect like people from land we have way too much time and are so dysregulated that like we don't even know how to like take care of each other and that's like my main concern on this planet in third world countries they still have a connection to the Aina because that's all they get. Yeah, they they have community, they have village. Potentially, they get a hard time because other places are poisoning water sources. But in like the first world countries built around our convenience lifestyle, it's almost idiocracy that we live in to be and and to think that the importance of our food systems is as easy as just heading to the supermarket to shop. It's like how we have a disconnection 
of the health of our waters and our aquifers and our streams because all we have a connection to is the faucet. But our children hardly look beyond the faucet. You know, and there's a lot more things to take into mind. But when you build a society that's individualized, that is commodified, and that is convenienced, then you lose all the mana that is to be learned in your connection to your resources and the maintenance and responsibility in that connection to your resources. Thank you very much to everyone who joined us for the live listening session. And a very special thank you to Elijah for sharing his knowledge, wisdom, and experiences with us. Next week, on May 9th, we'll be hosting our second live session, where we'll be listening to our episode about Tabasco sauce. Trust me, that one's a lot of fun as well, so please check our social media for updates on how to join us. How Not to Travel is produced by Studio Ochenta and hosted by Dr. Kiona and me, Luis Lopez. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Production and sound design by me and Chiara Sandella. Our production coordinator is Catalina H. Vélez. And our social media manager is Sofia Rodríguez. You can follow us on Instagram at How Not to Travel Pod and at Ochenta Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. Read more about the show and about our other productions on our website, ochentastudio.com. Thanks for listening, y buen provecho.